Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. Hi, and welcome back to the Newberry Tart Podcast. I'm Marcy. And I'm Jenny. And this is the next in our series of 2020 mini-episodes. During this time of social distancing, we realized that a lot of our favorite authors and artists would not be able to promote their new books. We've spoken with incredible creators of middle grade and YA and graphic novels and picture books, and we're really excited to share this with you. Please enjoy this slight deviation from our regular content, and remember to buy from your local independent bookstores. Today we are speaking with renowned poet and author Nikki Grimes. Your next book that's coming out, is it Kamala Harris, Root and Injustice in August? Yes. And I just had a new one come out, Southwest Sunrise. I haven't seen that one. Oh, yeah. It's with Wendell Minor. And uh, I, I have been wanting to get into the nature space for quite some time because there aren't enough books featuring children of color out in nature. And we certainly are, some of us, very deeply engaged with nature, but you don't see that reflected in the literature. And so I've been on about that for a while, and I finally got one book out dealing with it, in this case, dealing with the beauty of the Southwest. That space is just now beginning to finally open up for Black authors, and we've been pushing it. Did you start with the Southwest because it has a a particular meaning to you, or you just love it especially? Well, it came up a few different ways. Um, Wendell and I have been wanting to do a book together for years, and I finally realized and, and, and said to him, you know, Wendell, no publisher is ever going to put us together, so we need to just come up with a book on our own and then pitch it. And he and I are both obsessed with the Southwest, so it was easy when we started talking about, well, what is our book going to be about? I'm like, uh, the Southwest? Yeah. So that's um, sort of where it came from. We both spend as much time there as we can. I especially love Santa Fe and uh, Taos. But yeah, the Southwest in general, we have a love affair with. Now, is that book poetry? Yeah, well, it's the story of a, a young boy from New York City whose family suddenly moves to the Southwest, and he's not too thrilled about it. Not thrilled at all. Thank you very much. And uh, he doesn't see, you know, what's, what's so great about the Southwest. The book is basically him exploring that environment after he gets there and discovering there is, in fact, a lot to love about the Southwest. But he starts off on a plane, too old to cry myself to sleep. I hide behind my baseball cap, close my eyes, and pout all the way from New York to New Mexico, mad about moving to a place of shadows. That's all I see when we land. Why are we here? What's so great about New Mexico? And so little by little, as he explores that environment, he discovers what's so great and realizes there is a place for him there. So that came out what, a couple of weeks ago, brand new. Excited about that. And then earlier in the year was in January, Bedtime for Sweet Creatures, illustrated by Elizabeth Zunian. And that's part of a series of books that I wanted to do for very, very young readers, just dealing with ordinary everyday things. So this book is about bedtime. And I have one 
uh, about bath time that's in production now. And then the third is about playtime. And these are things that, you know, relate to any child. But to see a black family in, in that context is new and fresh. Looking to just broaden the perspective mm-hmm. and the culture of children of color uh, in children's literature. I'm so excited that you're doing these. When I was a children's librarian, I often had to resort to books with animal protagonists because I felt like those were more representative of all the different children that I was reading to than just white kid after white kid after white kid. Well, and also, yeah, as a bookseller, you'd have people come in and specifically be like, I want a book that looks like me, which is completely reasonable. And you had such a limited palette to work with. But I feel like that's really rapidly expanding, which is great. We're working on it. I want to know about your Kamala Harris book. And that's with Laura Freeman, correct? I love her art. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And her work is just breathtaking. I saw the cover and my jaw literally dropped. It's such a beautiful, beautiful work. Simon & Schuster, who published the Obama book I did some years ago, came to me with this project. And uh, I initially said no because they were planning to do it on the same kind of ridiculously tight framework that the Obama book was done. And having done that and promised myself never again, um, when they first approached me, I just kind of laughed and said, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. But I was really interested in Kamala Harris. So now if they ever come back and they decide they want to do another book in a reasonable time frame, I'm all in. And then they went back and they thought about their schedule and when the book would come out and when they would actually need it as opposed to when they thought they would need it. And they came back and they said, well, what about this time? And I'm like, that I can do. So then I was on board because I was just very curious about her, very interested in her as a person. So yeah, so it's a gorgeous book. And did you have any input on the illustrator for that? Laura Freeman does beautiful work, but I didn't know if you got to choose I'm always involved in the selection of artists for my book, but it's a conversation. Many of my publishers just outright will come to me and say, do you have anybody in mind? At other times, it's more, because uh, I don't usually have a particular artist in mind. I have a particular sensibility that I know is going to marry well with the sensibility of my story. And that's what I'm looking for. And there can be and there usually are a number of artists who work in that particular style, that particular frame. Um, so sometimes it's a question of going back and forth with the editor. You know, what about this person? Well, I don't know. What about that one? And sort of back and forth until we find someone on whom we both agree. At other times, it's right off the bat. They name an artist and I'm like, yes, let's go with that one. Or I name an artist and they're like, yes, that's the person we'll go with. So it kind of works both ways. But I'm always involved in that decision because it is a critical decision. And uh, I'm well aware of that. Uh, The wrong art can just tank a book. No one will even open it to find out what's inside if the art is the right art. You do beautiful work with biographical picture books. How is the process different for writing about someone who's still alive? Do you usually try to reach out to them? I haven't only because my subjects have been so dang busy. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, you try to get an appointment with, you know, Barack and now 
with Tamala, I was like, yeah, that's not happening. But fortunately, both were very good writers in their own right. And then, too, so many people have written about them. So there's so much material out there to draw from, articles and essays and, you know, by other people, by themselves, that kind of thing. That's been really helpful in doing this kind of book. And I'm not telling any radically new story. I'm introducing the youngest readers to, to this person, and, and they don't know the story at all. So whatever I bring to it uh, is going to be new and fresh for that reader. It would be a different story if I was writing a book for middle grade or for young adult. That's yeah. a totally different audience, and it would require a different approach. And in-person interviews would then be really critical, but not for a picture book telling not so much. And what are you working on going forward? I'm doing final tweaks on Legacy, Women Poets of the Harlem Renaissance. Yes. Um, this is fact the book I wanted to write in the first place. It is a companion to One Last Word. Oh, that sounds awesome. It's all women poets, all women artists, written by a woman, edited by a woman. You get the picture. I'm a happy camper. <laughs> and the art, oh my gosh. More artists than one last word. And the work is just, it's not only stunning, but there's such a great range of styles. My agent said, you couldn't call it a coffee table book, but you could treat it that way because it's so beautiful. It's a book you would want to have out for people to look at. And the fun thing about this book is, you know, I, did, I knew there were women poets that nobody was talking about. But when I started to do the research, I discovered there were far more than I had imagined. I couldn't include half of the women I found. I just didn't have enough space to do that. I crammed as many as I could, but I'm telling you, there's more to be found. And that was exciting. After the intensity of working on Ordinary Hazards, I really had a desire to return to something light. So I've just been really focused on, on picture books. I have a few of those in the works, a couple on nature themes. And again, the, the younger readers I was talking about, so I've just finished the uh, book on playtime. I'm going to be busy all summer and fall because I just got two book offers today. Congratulations. Congratulations. You're writing more about nature. What's your favorite way of being in nature? Well, I spend a lot of time in my garden. It, my garden is my sanity, actually, especially right now. So I'm out there with my roses and coaxing my vegetables along. I'm really excited. Uh, one of the upsides of being uh, in lockdown for me, <laughs> I'm, so, I'm usually traveling through the spring. I haven't been home long enough to plant a spring garden in about three years. Excited that I got to do that this year. Not that I asked for this gift of time <laughs> in this way, but since I have it, I'm making the most of it. It is kind of shocking how many people we talk to that say the same thing, and I feel the same way too, but almost every person that we've talked to for this little mini-series has been like, oh, yes, gardening, just being out in my garden. It does. It makes you sane. It, it brings you back to yourself. To see the roses and to see, you know, the vegetables, I mean, to see things growing and to see things that are beautiful and to remember, oh, 
yes, there are still beautiful things in the world. And there are still things growing. There is life, you know, in the midst of the death and the illness and all of it, in the midst of all of that, there is, in fact, life. And that always speaks to hope. And so the garden is a healing place to be right now. I have little tiny herbs that I've started in little egg cartons and um, because that's just the space I have. Mm -hmm. But even that little tiny bit is it's just miraculous to see them peeping up. It is. And it never gets old. Every time there's a new bud, my heart just beats. I'm like, oh, (laughs) you know, as if it were the first time. mention the the poetry that I've been posting on online and I've been writing a lot of uh, <clears throat> COVID-19 poetry I've mm-hmm. shifted in the, in the last few days but one of the I, I pulled out one of the poems I wrote on uh, March 30th I call these by the way these are my um, valve release poems I write these poems to keep my head from exploding and this one was the talk of war too familiar Daily reports of the dead and dying, urban mash units hastily assembled amid the cacophony of street fights over face masks, and nurses loudly protesting a lack of ventilators. What fresh hell is this? But now, of course, my mind is on other things going on. And so this is I am the skittish deer sniffing the air for danger. I am the antelope leaping for my life. I am the hare, the pheasant, the lion, the bear. I am the ebony-hued human hated for daring to be. I am the hunted wondering when you're coming for me. I'm so glad that you're actually putting them out there on on places like Twitter where they can be sort of spread around for people to hear because I think the people I don't know sometimes they forget that there's poetry even in the terrible things that are happening but to know that there is I think is a help even when things are awful Mm. well and a lot of times you're putting into words what others are thinking and feeling but don't know how to express so while it's a relief release valve for me it becomes that for other people for readers as well absolutely no, yes, yes, I'm not alone. I feel that way too. I've thought those thoughts as well. So, but I, I, I do it because I have to, because I feel pressed to respond to what's happening, but I don't otherwise have the language to address it. I can address anything in a poem. That's my first language. You posted one about MLK. That struck me in particular because we are in Atlanta and he's always a presence. You know, for the past few days, I've I've heard people just preach MLK to black people one time too many. You know, I'm like, you're going to tell the story. Let's tell the whole story. Not this sanitized, romantic version of what happened and how it all was. I've spent some time with his papers in the archives, in the King archives. And one thing that I didn't understand until I did that is that he did... He did espouse nonviolence. I mean, he did preach nonviolence, but that didn't mean he wasn't angry. And it didn't mean that he wasn't right to be angry. And I think people forget that. Well, and they also kind of skirt over what it cost him. <laughs> yeah. 
Also, for me, it's the ask, because, of course, I lived through all of this. And one of the things he was aware of, he was very much aware of the power of media. And he knew he expected the violence came against him and against protesters. But he knew if the world got to see it, something would change, something would shift. And ultimately, that is what turned the tide. The federal government became so ashamed and how the entire world was looking at it and saying, you know, um, what's going on in America? And they're like, you know, you know we, yeah, that's when they said, hey, let's send the National Guard and, and break this fight up. And yeah, that's when all of that went into, went into motion. So I just didn't want the conversation to leave all of that out of it. Mm-hmm. And to only be about just being, you know, a good little peaceful protester, like first of all, there was more to him than that. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a hell of a lot more to this whole movement and to the shift that happened. And no, it, it wasn't just that he marched and magically bills were written. That's that's not what happened. That was not the narrative. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was there. I lived through it. That's not what happened. So let's talk about the whole story. I mean, not only him, but so many people paid with their lives, and many people um, lives. and maybe not their mortality, but their their mobility, um, their dignity. And it's very least, it's disrespectful to to make it into like a little catchphrase. Exactly. <laughs> I miss having a government that's capable of being ashamed. Preach, sister. Everything is just depressing lately. It seems like so much all at once. All of that's true, but I do sense a shift happening. I'm battling my cynical side and hanging on to my hopeful side and hoping that this shift is permanent, mm-hmm. that it's something that can be built upon, that it is something that's not going to go away in a few weeks when all the cameras go away. Um, but I've heard people in authority say things that I've never heard them say before. I've heard police captains and police chiefs saying things I'd never heard said before. And so I'm, I'm looking and I'm listening and I'm thinking, maybe, maybe there's a shift, a crack anyway, at, at this moment. Only time will tell. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with us. You know that people are reading your poetry anyway, but we are looking at it every chance we get. And especially during these times, it's just so uplifting. And also, like you said, it's really nice to have words put to some of the things that we're feeling. So you're you're doing such an amazing thing with that. Thank you. Thanks for thinking of me and allowing me to talk about my new books. And yeah, you too. Bye. Thank you for listening to our interview with Nikki Grimes, the wonderful poet and author. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Meitinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and
Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry Tart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com.